0: We're trying to create a community of tennis lovers and tennis players, tennis coaches, whoever is interested, tennis fans, to be able to communicate with each other, to share information, to feel like they're part of a tribe.
1: Hello and welcome to Tennis Pal Chronicles, the podcast to feed your passion for all things tennis. And I'm with my fab co-host, Valerie Garcia. Hi, hey. Valerie.
2: <laughs> hey, Philip.
1: How are you today?
2: I'm um, good, PK. And yourself?
1: I'm so good. We're in AO heaven, aren't we? Yes. I mean, this is the Australian Open. Can't get enough, not sleeping enough. And especially since we're on Los Angeles time.
2: Yes, we're staying up all night long.
1: It's a little tough. It's a little hard. But, but so worth it. I mean, uh, amazing tennis so far. Yes. Having a good time. And as we speak, Serena Williams is playing Jastrzemska, the 18-year-old. What an amazing match that is. It's going
2: good for my girls so far.
1: Yeah, it looks like a one-way traffic so far, but I'm just excited about these new up-and-coming uh, young girls that are just bringing their game.
2: Heck yeah, especially those American girls. Very proud of them. Yes.
1: Well, today we're interviewing one of the most passionate tennis fans I know. Her name is Hale Emrani. Hale also happens to be the founder and CEO of Sagenham, the creator of the Tennis Pal app.
2: I can't wait to hear about Hale. I remember uh, we met on episode one and I got to play live ball at her house and she was very gracious. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear this interview.
1: Yes, she has an intriguing story and I'm sure that everyone will really be interested to learn about her. She is a passionate tennis fan that just happened to grow up in Iran and lived through the Iranian Revolution of 1979.
2: Oh, that's when I was born.
1: Oh, that's your year? Yeah. Wow. So when you were born, there was a revolution happening in Iran.
2: That's so fascinating.
1: The world is small, and it's really connected. And that's why I love telling this story, even though it's from a completely different part of the world from you and I. It's about someone just like you and I who loves tennis.
2: My favorite thing about this is getting to hear about another culture because I have learned through this experience that how little I know and knew about that region of the world. Oh, and tell me about it. There's so much historic culture and Holly's story is great motivation to learn more.
1: Yeah, I think in general I came into this and I really felt like I don't know much at all about Iran or about their history and so this podcast really gave me an opportunity to really dig deeper.
2: Yes, and I think you did some research, right? And maybe you could tell me what you found out about Iran.
1: Sure, I, again, I don't know much about Iran, but uh, I did what all people who are connected to Google do. I just read the wiki, and learned as much <laughs> as I could. And Cheetah. I, yes, and I watched some really great YouTube videos about the Iranian Revolution, just to get a sense of the background. So I just want to share a couple of notes that I learned I learned that the revolution happened in Iran is also known as the Islamic Revolution or the 1979 revolution. And it was a series of events involving the overthrow of the monarch of Iran, Mohammad Reza Shah. His government was being replaced with an Islamic Republic government under the grand Ayatollah Khomeini. You probably heard that name before.
2: Oh, it's like in my everyday vernacular.
1: (laughs) Well, I do know I've heard that name before, and I I wasn't even sure why I knew that name. But he was a leader of one of the factions in the revolt, and the movement against the United States-backed monarchy was supported by various leftist groups, the Islamic organizations, and a large student movement that happened at that time. I mean, in simplest terms, the monarch, Mohammad Reza Shah, who was creating a more modern and prosperous state for Iran, was overthrown, by religious Shiite leaders, leftists, and a lot of discontent students. So sadly, the imperial army mishandled the protest and many of the protesters were killed leading up to the revolution. So once the conservative religious leaders took over power, there was a swift change to all the aspects of society, including how people could play tennis in their country.
2: Well, this is very interesting because I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm, I'm not very knowledgeable about The other parts of the world. I'm I'm ignorant in that sense, but I can't wait to hear, I'm really dying to hear about Holly's experience growing up through this.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what's so beautiful about this podcast story is that I I feel connected now to Iran just because I know Holly and I call her my friend. And so it just gives me a warmth and an openness to learn about the culture, knowing that that's where she grew up and she's a passionate tennis fan just like me. And I feel like she has a really interesting and intriguing story to share. So, oh, and I do want to say we had a couple of audio dropouts with the Skype interface of the recording. So please bear with the audio interview quality. So let's welcome Hale Emrani to the show. So Hale, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: We're so glad to have you. I know personally that you are so passionate about tennis, and that's what this show, Tennis Pal Chronicles, is all about. It's about passionate people who love tennis. And I think what's very interesting about your story is that you were born in Iran, and you immigrated to the United States. Can you tell me a little bit about what you remember about Iran when you were born and raised?
0: Sure. Uh, Yes, I was born in Tehran, Iran, and basically I spent my first 20 years of life there. Iran is a relatively large country in the region and very influential culturally. And at the time that I was uh, growing up, mostly before the Islamic Revolution of 1979, it was extremely cosmopolitan, and it was leaning towards some Western aspects of life. Culturally, it was kind of leaning towards European style of living, and consequently, playing sports for women was something that was very prevalent and actually encouraged. So as I was growing up, I actually, believe it or not, was playing basketball and soccer and sports like that. After the revolution, some of the opportunities started to become uh, more challenging, so I had to pick something that I could play indoors or arenas that were more enclosed because of the Islamic clothing restrictions. And that's when I picked up tennis because I was able. It was an individual sport, and you could play it even after the revolution. There, uh, we had opportunities to play the sport.
1: Wow, that is so interesting. So, do do you feel like you were always kind of sporty when you were young? You love sports. You're very athletic
0: yes i love to play any game basically give me a ball and a field i play whatever it is whether it's volleyball basketball soccer (laughs) anything the one sport i've never played is baseball because that was not something that we didn't play in iran it was similar to something that some people played but nothing like that so i have no familiarity with that sport but anything else I'm pretty much out there playing. Yeah. If and, you give me the opportunity.
1: What about cricket? Was cricket introduced into Iran? No. The time?
0: No, interestingly enough, I and I know that my Indian friends all grew up and the people from Pakistan played cricket through colonial times and Iran as you may know was never colonized so we didn't have that sport imported into our um, country.
1: I got it. So when you started playing tennis, what was it like? Can you describe it—the atmosphere, the um, the things sure. you remember?
0: Actually, in the '70s, tennis was big in uh, Iran. We even had a Tehran Open where uh, villas played at, for instance. So it was uh, a sport that was being followed and played. The late Shah and his family—they were all tennis players. So it was something that was in the news, and people were engaging in it uh, in that sport. Uh, But for me, and one thing to remember is that um, in Iran, most of the courts were clay courts. We did have some hard courts, but mostly we played on clay. The sport was played in clubs, country clubs and private clubs. I happened to be at a school that had a tennis court starting to play. I had the opportunity to play. And uh, I started as a late teenager. Like, I started when I was 16, 17 years old. Back then, we had the obviously the wooden rackets and the white balls, and it was something that we could start playing with. We had good coaching, and there were a few big clubs that had organized tennis programs. So I was fortunate enough to be able to participate. Wow, that's
1: great! So did. Did you play with like an Iranian tennis racket, or did, were they importing it from? No, we didn't
0: have any. <laughs> no, Don Love. Don Love was the racket, the wooden Don Love. And actually, later on, I got the Mac and Roll racket. I still have it. I brought it with me.
1: Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. So obviously yes. during the 70s, really globally, tennis was exploding all around the world. Great to hear that also in Iran, tennis made an impact. So were you watching it on television as well as a child?
0: Yes. Not, it wasn't as um, easy to watch some of the games. Obviously, when the games were local, we would be able to watch them. I actually had the opportunity to watch an actual match at one of the stadiums when I was a teenager, and that was really something special. Not like today, because TV programming was limited in general, but when the matches were played in Tehran, you had some opportunity to watch some.
1: Wow. Do you remember the first match that you went to, who played? Or was it local heroes or people who came from?
0: Yeah, local players, local players. Bahrami, he was one of the younger pioneers in Iran that started playing. We they, they did have a number of good players back then, but yeah, mostly local players.
1: What, you mean Bahrami, the comedian yes, tennis guy? Yes,
0: Mansour Bahrami, yeah, the trickster, <laughs>
1: <exactly>. <laughs> He is so fun to watch, so talented. Yes,
0: yes.
1: <laughs> so was he kind of an inspiration during that time because he was one of the few pros?
0: Yes, I think the inspirations were mostly European players. Like uh, when Bjorn Borg and uh, McEnroe, for example, were playing, those matches were interesting and huge. Later on when Navratilova was playing, I think for me Navratilova was the ultimate
1: Okay, we're back with Holly, And Holly, you were telling us a little about the Tehran tennis programs that you were experiencing as well as some of the tournaments you went to.
0: While uh, we were um, taking a break, I actually got the opportunity to t- check this out to make sure I'm not providing incorrect information. I said Tehran Open. That's how they refer to it, but the actual name was Arya and Arya was the title of the of Iran back then. And they held the ch- championships from the 19- 1971 until 1977. It was at the Imperial Country Club. If you remember, I mentioned Guillermo Villas. So he was the champion in 1977. I got to watch that, that specific um, year. I got to watch tennis live. And, 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 how, um, and
1: how old were you at that time?
0: 15.
1: Wow, that's amazing. So it really started in your life fairly young, the inspiration for tennis.
0: Yeah, but I didn't pick up a racket until I was 17 because, again, I was playing basketball back then and soccer, and I didn't even think about playing tennis, but I loved to watch. Once the opportunity to play tennis came along and I was not able to participate in team sports, I started playing tennis.
1: And was the government behind tennis? Was there like government programs? And did they have a government team? Uh, Was it or was like a sponsored tennis league? Anything like that? Uh,
0: Before the revolution, yes. After the revolution, the early years, no, because the country was going through some cultural reforms and things. So sports were not big on the list of priorities. But I know that today, for instance, we do have a Fed Cup team, actually, and they participate in the Asian Cups, which is very heartwarming for me to know that young women in Iran are actually competing in tennis tournaments.
1: That is so re-
0: I guess it, they're not strong enough to reach the world level, you know, the team world competition, but they do participate in regional FEDCOP competitions. Wow, Cop that's competition. great.
1: So you, you probably feel a little bit of yourself in, in seeing those young girls uh, competing.
0: Absolutely. So- and I really enjoy that. There was also, if you remember, there was one young Iranian female player. She played in France, but she introduced herself as Iranian. If you remember, she was in the uh, top 50 for a while. This is a few years ago. Wow. I can look up the name for you, but the last name was Rezai, R-E-Z-A-I.
1: Wow, that's really cool. Yes. <laughs> so did you notice uh, when you lost freedom or with the coming of Islam to Iran, was there a dramatic drop between uh, men playing tennis and girls playing tennis because of the beliefs and the values?
0: I don't think they we're limiting the play for girls, but the limitation came from the fact that you had to be in enclosed areas. So basically, the access to the courts became a little bit limiting, but we could still play. So the way they were doing it was that the clubs had, for instance, the mornings were dedicated to women, the afternoons, men, or vice versa. Access to the courts, were essentially uh, limited to women for half the day and to men for the rest of the day. So some days you could only play in the morning, some days, some days in the afternoon. You could not play mixed doubles, for instance. You could not go to a club with your brother and hit. You had to be with other women. And it was during the time that was allocated for use by wow. women.
1: Were there were there male coaches there?
0: Uh, they... Yes, and they could teach female students however it had to be arranged on private courts or private properties. You could not do it on public courts or public clubs. But we did have very competent female coaches because most of the people who had been playing before the revolution, after the revolution, they continued playing. So at that point, we had a generation of female tennis players who could actually coach the younger generation.
1: And when it was the female time for them to play tennis, what were they wearing or allowed to wear?
0: No, you could wear regular clothing because the area was limited to women. Meaning oh. that during that time, no men had access to the facilities, so there was no reason to cover up.
1: Okay, so you had the same kind of clothing that maybe a Navratilova would wear or something.
0: Correct. Correct. Gotcha. We were not as fancy, but we had <laughs> a, um, like gym clothing or uh, clothing, clothing that was specific for playing sports. For instance, we had white shorts. I don't remember ever wearing a skirt until I came to the U.S., uh-huh. but I used to wear white shorts and white T-shirts and everything was white back then. Basically,
1: <laughs> Trying to be like Wimbledon, I guess. I guess. And on, in the indoors, you, you said uh, outdoors it was clay. Is indoors clay as well?
0: Yeah, I remember clay courts. I, really, I don't quite remember hard courts, but I had heard that some of the bigger clubs did have different surfaces. Hmm. But I only played on clay.
1: And do you remember what kind of tennis shoes you guys were wearing during that time?
0: They, they were called tennis shoes. And if I remember correctly, they were the white ones, kind of like the Stan Smiths. Yes, those uh, types of shoes. It was Adidas, if I'm not mistaken, and they were white with the green back. You know, the right. They've become fashionable again, but back then <laughs> they were just old tennis shoes, and they were they were white Stan Smiths.
1: <laughs> yeah, I actually have a pair of Stan Smiths. <laughs> They're, they're they're classic.
0: And they have the logo, and they really haven't changed much.
1: Yeah, yeah. I heard a, a funny story that Stan Smith himself told in another podcast where he said his daughter was wearing his shoes. Uh, or no, excuse me. His granddaughter was wearing his shoes in a high school class, and the coach said, you can't wear those shoes because they're not made for tennis. They're just for fashion. <laughs> and she said, well, my, my grandfather won Wimbledon with these shoes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is true. Back then, they were, I mean, do not remember having such an emphasis on the type of shoes. They were just sports shoes and they were called tennis shoes. We had basketball shoes that were the star, you know, the, the
1: Converse. The Converse. The high tops. And
0: then the white, yeah, exactly. And then the white tennis shoes. Those were the two types that I remember.
1: And probably the strings that you were playing with was gut? in the wood Rapids,
0: natural gut yes wow. wooden yes
1: so how far did you get in tennis uh, in iran before you came to the united states
0: well i could rally i i still have a very wicked <laughs> slice backhand which <laughs> i think i developed on the clay courts of iran the, yeah i could rally i could play I'm, I'm i'm a good mover so i think some of the Shortcomings that I had with my technique, I could cover up for with my movement around the court. I have to say that the technique was not something that um, I learned properly at the beginning, and I spent years afterwards trying to fix some of it because i don't know how it was the technique has changed as well because if you remember i don't know how old you are you're probably not old um, enough to remember but when i started there was no such a thing as a topspin forehand it was just the you know back and forth straight um flat shot or a slice forehand to come in behind and we had the slice backhand but there was no such a thing as a two-handed topspin backhand these are things that came along at a later time. So on a clay court, the strategy is to stay in the point and continue playing, hoping that the other player would miss. I mean, it's a, the style of play is very different on a clay court than it is on a hard court. Right.
1: Very slow. Um, not a lot of winners. Patient.
0: Pain. Patient. You play the... You construct the point. You stay with it. And uh, basically, it's it's different. It's a different mindset and the shots are different. So a lot of slices and drops and lobs and long rallies. So very different from today's game.
1: Yeah, and yet you hear about a lot of juniors being shipped off to Spain to learn to play on clay because because of that mindset. So I feel like it's still very relevant to today's tennis.
0: It has become fashionable again. It's interesting because uh, I play a lot of singles or used to play a lot of singles when I was younger. And I would win a lot of matches, not because I was the best player on the court, but because I had variety in my game. And most American players could not handle the slice at all. And they bad-mouthed the slice. It was an underhanded shot. They considered it to be uh, not a great shot. You know what I'm saying? Like a
1: trick shot or junk ball? Like
0: a trick shot. However, if you think about it, it's a great shot to have. It basically, it takes your opponent, uh, rhythm away. It allows you to come in. It changes the dynamics of the point. So it's a great shot to have, but the mentality was that this is not the way to play. You have to have a a very hard forehand topspin, hard forehand back, topspin backhand. So the mentality was that you just hit hard forehand and backhand topspin shots. But nowadays, recently I've noticed that, um, players are becoming more versatile. So they're using the slices and drops and lobs and some of these things that were considered not that great to use. So the mentality has changed. Some of it may have to do with the fact that Americans traditionally did not do well at the French Open. So they started thinking that maybe they should start learning some of these things. Probably through experience, they've learned that Sometimes you cannot win by just hitting hard. You need to be able to have some variety and be able to take the other person out of their rhythm.
1: Yeah, there definitely is a criticism of American tennis currently that we're all about the big serve and the big forehand. And that lack of variety is kind of what is maybe holding Americans back. Federer is using the slice heavily. He um,
0: does. He always has. Yeah, especially on return of
1: serve. He's done such a great job at just getting the ball back and starting the point.
0: The one thing about Federer that has made him the best, in my opinion, ever, and a great player, is that he has variety. He adjusts his game to what the other person is doing to get them out of their rhythm to, to set himself up to win the point. Not everybody does that. I mean, some of the players just hit hard, harder, and harder, <laughs> try to basically blow the other uh, person off the court. And that may work with some people, but it would not work with everybody.
1: Sure. And and what uh, low percentage chance that might be as well.
0: Exactly. Well, exactly. So
1: did you find your passion for tennis in Iran? I mean, when you were
0: 15, 16, 17,
1: were you developing a passion? Did.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I did. I love the sport. Multiple reasons for it. First of all, because it's an individual sport, I think it builds character. I really believe that because you're on your own out there. In basketball, you can say that nobody passed me the ball. The pass was bad or the defense didn't do its job or whatever. In tennis, there is no such thing. It's you, your racket, and the ball. (laughs) So you win, you take the credit. You lose, you have to think about why, and you take the blame. So it really is a special type of sport. It um, builds character, and it gives you some tools that you can use in your everyday life.
1: So when you were developing this passion, what were some of the key factors that helped you fall in love with it? Did you have a great group of people that you played with? Was there a community for you? Did you win a lot? Because that's always motivating.
0: I love to win, as you know. <laughs> yes, <laughs> To start with, one of my very good friends, girlfriends from high school She had been playing for a number of years because her dad actually had access to that Imperial Country Club that we were talking about. Got it. And she had access to those sports and she had been playing. And she basically started taking me along and I started playing with her. And because I was playing with, with her and her sister and a few other friends, so it was really enjoyable activity for me not only playing sports and being competitive, but playing with my friends. So that really made it very enjoyable. And then uh, I realized early on, and I'm a good mover around the court. I'm very fat. So um, I could do well just by covering the court. Again, especially on a clay court. So I could be successful, even though I didn't have the right technique. <laughs> but then later on, I realized that, I need to develop the right technique. But initially, I think my movement around the court and my agility was the thing that helped me win matches. Yeah.
1: So you fell in love with tennis and then you immigrated to the United States. That must have been a pretty traumatic change for you to have to leave your friends, your community, and then come to the United States and, and try to find another tennis community as well as just adjust to life in general.
0: Sure. I was lucky in a way. The friend I mentioned to you, she came with, we both emigrated at the same time. Ah, perfect. So I continued, the two of us, we continued playing. I remember early on, uh, we used to live on the, um, you know, near um, Cheviot Hills in Los Angeles. Yes. And we used to get up at 6 a.m. and go to the courts and play tennis on Saturdays and Sundays. So I continued playing, playing with her. But I still didn't have the opportunity to take lessons or anything like that. We were just hitting balls. But as I got established and I once I started college, I actually started taking um, tennis lessons as my during physical education uh-huh. requirements and things like that. I never was good enough to be on a team or anything like that. But I had the opportunity to kind of take lessons at the university and kind of play on the courts. So that's how it evolved. And once I graduated, at that point, I started working so I could afford to actually take lessons. And I joined USTA, started playing USTA League tennis and things like that. And I've been playing since. And I'm still continuing to play USTA team tennis <laughs> in some of the local tournaments. That's
1: great. Well, I wanna back up for just a second because I feel like it's an important moment. You land in the United States. I guess you came to LA first?
0: First, I ended up in Austin, Texas, Uh because I wanted to attend UT, but I I don't know how to put this, but it was not the best place for me socially, so I moved to Los Angeles after a year and a half.
1: Sure, a lot more wide open here in LA. Do you remember the very first time you played tennis in the United States? On American yeah, it soil? was in
0: Austin. My Actually, um, my cousins, I went to Austin because I had family there. And my cousins were all, and they're all boys, and they all went to UT. And in the complex that they lived, there was community center with a couple of tennis courts. Yep. So I actually had brought my wooden racket with me. <laughs> and as soon as I... Um, arrived, I started playing with some of my cousins and some of the people in the local community with hitting balls. So I started right away.
1: And that must have been hardcore in uh, Austin, I'm assuming.
0: Hardcore. Correct. Absolutely. Yes. Regular, the ones that we play on right now. So
1: how did it feel the first time you played? It must have felt so different.
0: Very different. The bounce of the ball is different. The sound of the ball is different. You cannot slide on it. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, very different, very different. But the, after a few times, you get a hang of it. You can, you don't become expert, so to say, but you start getting a hang of the differences, and you adjust. That's great. The rackets were the same, though. I mean, the, the, the racket could do the job. Balls, I'm trying to remember. I, I think it was just the early, in the early 80s that they started introducing the yellow balls, if I'm not mistaken. So that was different
1: too. Yeah, and again, that's pretty much the heyday of tennis in the early 80s. uh, I just finished an interview with Tennis Nerd, and we talked about how in Sweden in 1988, they swept all the Grand Slams. Mats Vilander won three of them, and uh, Edberg won the fourth. So what a heyday it was for Sweden. But it was the same for America as well. There must have been a lot of excitement in the tennis world during that time.
0: Yes, I remember we Land- I watched some of we Land- their matches on TV in Austin, Texas. I remember that.
1: <laughs> and I guess the game was starting to change. People were starting to hit with topspin. People were uh, hitting with a little bit more power. Uh, the racket technology Correct. was changing as well.
0: The first racket I got that was, a, I can say, a modern good racket was the Yonex that was used to play with. I remember that, and I still have the racket. I believe. Wow. Or.
1: Graphite racket, I'm assuming.
0: But yeah, so that was the first one that was not a wooden racket. Okay. After that, then then whatever. I mean, I use a head racket normally because I like the feel of it. But I've I've tried Yonex, Prince. Um, I've never had Wilson. I I don't think so. And then head rackets, many of them different generations
1: did you get to play in college or with a college crew at all
0: no no i was never good enough i would go and basically practice or hit with a few of them but i was never good enough to, to join the team
1: so really just more of a community player how did you find social people to social
0: player yes.
1: social player how did you find people to play with when you came to la
0: in la actually i used to live close to Chevy Hills oh i remember now back then this is again many years ago. USTA used to run rating clinics. If you remember, I don't know if you remember this. They, you would contact USTA, and they would tell you to show up at a location at a certain time for a coach to rate you. And you'd go there, and there, there were people playing on multiple courts, and a coach with a with a basically um, the notepad was taking notes of your different strokes. And then they would mail a postcard to your house, wow. telling you what level you are.
1: Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then once you got rated, at that point, you could place your name on a list to be uh, introduced to some of the captains who were forming USTA league teams. Wow. So that's how I started. and. I remember that there is a gentleman, he's still running his uh program, um Kevin Brady. He had he does he does um camps and things like that. Back then he was running a program out of the course on La Siena Olympic and I called him and I asked whether there were any programs for programs for adult players. And he basically introduced me to the league play, UST league Well, wow, that's great.
1: Did you feel any sense of um, kind of hesitation because you were from Iran at all? Or how was it to try to assimilate?
0: Uh, no. And that's, again, another advantage of tennis is that it's an individual sport. So you really don't have to have people around you or, you know, you don't have to rely on others. So I would just, Schedule the match, show up, play, and go home. I didn't even have to interact too much with the other player.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you're, you're...
0: So as long as I could have my racket and hit the ball, I could play. And
1: and that made actually, you happy. I,
0: I got to find good friends through the league. I, I got to know many um, other players. Interestingly enough, one of them that I played against during one of the league matches... Became very friendly with me and she introduced me to a captain that was forming a team and I played on her team for, I think, over 10 years.
1: Wow, that's Different levels. Yeah, wow. So give us a little bit of perspective. What was it like to play on USTA leagues back then versus what it's like now?
0: I was younger. (laughs) 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 <laughs> no, <here's the> <laughs> well, just, we all a, I, I was mostly a singles player and because most most ladies who play the league and our social players doubles I had an advantage so I would get to play more than the average player because not many people were willing to play single um, and again I was much younger so I could compete i, I I'm still playing for an 18 plus team today. That's great. However, I'm 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 probably the oldest of the bunch. So I do play singles, but I really cannot compete at a singles tournament because of the physical requirements of the game and me getting old. So I mostly compete playing doubles. The one disappointing thing that I can tell you is that not many young players are joining the um, leagues anymore, meaning that I'm still playing in the 18 plus and most of the people I'm playing with or against are around my age. It seems like we are getting older together. Participation is low. so this is actually one of the reasons that we started thinking about this idea behind Tennis path. Trying to find a way to increase participation in tennis, make it exciting again. So. Younger players would like to join a league or join competition and would like to become part of this community.
1: Well, that's a great segue into talking about uh, the Tennis Pal app. And you're the CEO of Sagedom, a software company. Tell us about the brainstorm to even put together an app for tennis. How did that develop? Sure.
0: Yes. So... um, One of the things that we didn't talk about is that when I came to the U.S., I studied engineering and I got my degree in electrical engineering and I've been working in the technical field since I started working. And I had been in the industry long enough to kind of realize towards 2015, 2016, that the the next stage is greater focus on software and mobile devices than it is on anything else computer related. At the same time, as I said, I was feeling that participation in um, tennis has dropped. For instance, I would sign up for some sort of a tournament. They would either refund me because nobody else joined, or I would show up and the other person would not show up, and I would win by default or something like that. And this has been a trend. I don't know if you're experiencing it too or not, but it seems to me that are not as eager to compete they may play some social matches they may do live ball but they don't really have that mindset set up i want to sign up for a weekend tournament dedicate two days of my weekend to trying to win this uh, tournament and that's something that uh, i feel it's a shame because uh, the beauty of tennis again any any sport, I think you compete to win. I know we uh, say that participation is important. It is. However, the goal, the object of the game is to win the match. And I think that's something that's getting lost nowadays. Well, actually, November of 2014, I had a meeting with a few people, like-minded people. One of them was my coach back then. And a few others who were involved in the sport. And I kind of brought up this idea that why can't we have some sort of a tool to allow people like me who are looking for competition who like to meet new players to be able to find each other because for instance you become a member of a country club and i'm a member of one myself you have a fixed sunday morning doubles or fixed saturday morning doubles or something like that and you essentially know everybody's game you know who has the drop who can hit a good top screen, who has the slice, it becomes very predictable. Got it. It is fun and social, but it's not competitive anymore. So I was trying to create a way for those who are looking for competition to be able to find each other and play. So that's the idea behind the app. So we came up with this idea that we need to create a tool, an app, for the generation who's essentially after college and before country club membership. You know, the younger people, when you're in college, you essentially have access to your college teammates and people you practice with. So you really don't, may not feel the need. Once you're in your 40s, late 40s, you're established, your business is doing well, you're more well-off, if I can say that, and you can afford to become a member of a country club. And at that point, again, you find people to play with at your club. However, between the time you leave college and you're at that age that you'd like to maybe join a club, you really don't have a way to find other place to play with. Uh, USTA, through league play, may provide you some level of access, but as I said, and I have experienced it myself over the years, the competition, the participation has dropped. So essentially less, fewer and fewer people are signing up for tournaments and they play. And with Tennis Pad, we're trying to remedy that. We're trying to create a community of tennis lovers and tennis players, tennis coaches, whoever is interested, tennis fans, to be able to communicate with each other, to share information, to feel like they're part of a tribe, and to have the opportunity to play with them that was the idea behind
1: the app. Well, I I think it's a genius idea. It is very needed. As we both know, tennis in America, with a couple of other sports like golf, is actually dropping in participation. And so it takes these kinds of revolutions via digital technology to allow there to be something where people can connect and and build something new. Otherwise, they give up, right?
0: Correct. Exactly. And you'd So every time I hear an old tennis player say he or she has started playing golf, I really cringe. It's like, what's happening? Why are you starting golf? It makes me sad thinking that they're leaving the game. But it is true. Participation. Is not as much as we would like it to be.
1: So what are some of the things that Tennis Pala is offering through the app so that people can get connected?
0: So the key points are that we're trying to create a greater sense of community around tennis, create the opportunities for like-minded people to connect. For this app, you can sign up as a coach or a player. Once you open the app, the very first page is a it's called Moments. It's an area for players to post and share images, video clips, information and for them to comment or like on each other's posts. It creates a sense of community, sharing of things related to tennis. The main purpose of the app, however, is to find others to play with. We have a function called find path. You can set it to be search for a player or a coach based on a criteria. You set the criteria. So you say that I'm looking for somebody within five miles of where I I am right now. Um, I like to play with another female player. I'm looking for a player that whose skills is around whatever it is that you You are, and you set that, uh, their availabilities and all that. So you search based on the criteria, and you get a list of others on the app who meet those conditions. That's great. At that point, you can either broadcast to everybody and say who's available to play, or you can go through the list and see who you actually know or who you like to play with, and you contact them directly. The app allows you to um, chat with others, also gives you the opportunity to challenge them, meaning send them an invite for a match with the location and the time specified. That's
1: an interesting idea.
0: We also have a feed, which is an area where you can get the latest news about the tournaments and what's going on in the tennis world Any articles related to that. We also have blogs and um, actually the podcast that you have been creating, PJ, they go in the feed. The community members have access to these um, different types of content, blogs, podcasts, articles, videos, and things of that nature. We also have a teaching court, which is a YouTube channel for instructional videos about tennis. So you can go and watch a short video on how to improve your overhead or watch how you should approach your first serve versus your second serve, um, how to attack a short ball and things of that nature. Essentially, it's a place for everybody who likes tennis, to get something that they're interested
1: in. Wow. Yeah. And I love the app. I love uh, using oh, it thank you. constantly um, posting to it as well as meeting people. And I, I love that people have really adopted it and uploaded their pictures. And it helps a lot when you see a picture and you feel like, okay, this person kind of looks safe to hit with. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in fact...
0: Actually, <laughs> this is an interesting uh, thing to say. Yes, we do have some short profiles. Uh, you can turn on... Get some information about the person that you're trying to meet up with to play. One main thing for us is that we meet online, but we play offline. So it's an opportunity for you to connect through the app, but eventually you're going to meet them on the court in a safe area participating in a sport. So I think it's a much safer way of meeting others than the other uh, tools out there.
1: Yeah, I'm actually meeting someone tomorrow. His name is Brandon. I met him through the app, and so we're gonna play some singles tomorrow. And I actually, a- nice. yeah, and I actually asked him, "Hey, do you mind if I record you with a couple of questions? Because I just thought it would be fun to hear people's perspective on how has it been using the app, and what is it like to actually meet someone on the court for the first time, that kind of thing." Mm-hmm. So I would love very
0: much. So I like to hear that. That yeah. would be great. Wouldn't
1: that be great? So what kind of feedback have you been getting from players? Uh, how successful is the app right now?
0: Interestingly enough, uh, in moments we have had a number of people posting selfies after they had played a match, and they made comments such as, "We met through the app, and we had a great match together, and we enjoyed playing, and things like that," which is great. I've also, as you know, we do have a concierge function, which actually I'm the concierge. So I'm essentially responding to questions and comments and suggestions from people. We make a point of answering every question and trying to respond to every comment. There was a specific player in our area that um, initially had sent a message saying that I'm not sure why I'm getting these invitations from people who seem to be in other areas, and we explained to him that the uh, connection is made through the location services. So a person may have a zip code in New York, but they may, they may be traveling to L.A. So that's why you can they can contact you. Ah. And um, so he had some, some questions. We went back and forth, and just this morning he sent me a message saying that, oh, I finally got the hang of this, and I see how it works, and it makes sense to me. That was really gratifying for me. And I thanked him for sticking with us. I think it's important that um, there are plenty of apps out there or uh, tools, things you may try but then give up on. And the fact that our users have stuck with us and they're helping us improve the app, it's great to me. And another thing that I should mention, as, again, you know, we're a local team, so the developers are in Santa Monica. So whenever we get feedback like that, we can easily respond and make adjustments in the app to make it easier to use based on our users' feedback.
1: Yeah, I feel like you have a really great team. All the feedback that I've been trying to give through either concierge or email has been responded to very quickly, and people are super kind, very gracious, and I I can't even imagine how hard it is to build this. I think they're doing a really great job.
0: One of the challenges with anything like this is that you need to create So local communities, pockets of players that can interact with each other. Because if you connect to someone in New York, it's not going to be really helpful to you. You still can exchange information and chat about things, but you can't really schedule a match to play. So we need to have local concentration in specific areas. So our focus areas have been northern and southern California. We have a good presence in New York. We have people in Colorado. Um, We do have a good pocket of people in Nevada, uh, Las Vegas. In Chicago, we actually have someone on the ground. We have local presence. So we're trying to grow it by making these local communities stronger. So it takes time to be able to create enough momentum in one location and a big enough community for everybody to be able to find people to save it that's the goal we're working
1: towards well and I think you're doing a really great job and I'm sure it's because of your passion and your love for the sport uh, I've probably downloaded every tennis app available in the <laughs> iTunes store and that was one of the reasons that you and I connected was because I have been a great beta tester for all of these apps and I got to say that tennis pal is definitely the best tennis app available thank you it's Uh, easily the most responsive and the easiest to use. Um, And I've signed up also not only in app form, but I've also signed up to a lot of uh, tennis uh, c- communities online that haven't developed an app even those I feel like it, they're not as responsive as you guys so it really helps thank you
0: for saying that. No, I appreciate it, that
1: it really helps to know that when you're using the app that there's people who care about tennis behind it and there's you that cares a lot about tennis so how has it Absolutely. been how has it been interacting with the tennis community now? Now you're a part of the tennis industry. How has the app been received, and how are you connecting with new people in the industry?
0: Very exciting, actually. The same way that you and I met at that event <laughs> at the Wilton event, I had I've had the opportunity to meet a number of coaches the WTCA conference in New York that we had sponsored. You were here to meet with them as well uh, the other day when we got together. So it's been very positive because I feel like there was a need in the industry for something like this, and it seems like we're getting, basically we're coming up with something that seems to be useful for the community as a whole. I've uh, been able to talk to many coaches, and they're very optimistic about the prospects of some of the new things we're trying to do in the future we're looking to improve some of our offerings for the coaches to allow them to um, have more opportunities to connect with new students to be able to offer their services easier and to essentially create an opportunity for coaches to be able to teach players in a way that's easier and more accessible. So this is something that's going to be announced in January. We're working on some new features for that to happen, and we're very excited about that. And the coaching community is excited about that as well. Because as you know, one of the issues with country club membership is the fact that you're tied to a physical place. For instance, if you had a gym membership, you can use your card at different facilities. That's not the case for a tennis club. If you're a member at the tennis club, you can you have access to their course and their coaches, and that's it. What we're trying to do is to remove that limitation and allow players to connect with coaches wherever they are and be able to essentially take advantage of talent where talent is. So, again, we ha- we're going to have some announcements around that, and uh, we're inviting you to look for that and stay tuned for... The news coming
1: app. Well, that's great. I think that people should definitely download the app and keep a watch uh, in the feed so that they can see what's coming up. And I know it's available for um, iTunes and Android. Uh, in development, and that ha- that must Correct. have took a, a lot of work to make it so uh, available worldwide.
0: I have to say we have the A-team here, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, very proud of the development team, and I think as um, you kind of mentioned, there, there are a number of apps out there trying to do similar things. The success factor for us has been the fact that we're a local team. We're sitting together here, and we have the technology and tennis at the same time because uh, some of the app developers are just that. They're technology people, but they do not have a good sense for the sport. Or some of the, some of the people coming out with apps are tennis fans or tennis coaches that do not have a good handle on technology. We've been able to bring these two together, and I, I believe the success factor in this, in creating the app that's useful, because tennis players are behind it, and it's, user-friendly because we have a good development.
1: And I think it's so key to reach the younger generation of players that are up and coming for them to have access to tennis on their phone as a mobile device, uh, rather than having to go to the country club or having to go to the coach or the court like you said this is a way for them to virtually connect like they're doing in all the rest of their life they're connecting virtually in in every other area whether it be for music or whether it be for fashion and so tennis should be right there with it in order for it to grow I think
0: exactly and you hit it on the head That the demographic that we're looking at the, after the age group of like 22 to 40 these are people that spend most of their days on their mobile devices. So that's where we have to go and catch them.
1: Yeah, that's And that's great. what
0: Tennis Pal does.
1: <clears throat> that's great. And obviously you're evangelizing for tennis. Uh, it sounds like your passion has grown uh, even more so from when you first uh, were falling in love with it in Iran to now here in West Los Angeles.
0: As I get older, I appreciate the sport even more because, as I said, there are some specific even the etiquette of tennis. You know, even the clothing, the all the things you do, the rituals, the fact that it's a um, honor system when you do the line calls. All these things, I think, they have value. It shows that it's a special sport. It really brings it adds something to everybody's life in my in my opinion
1: Well, I know for me, it has tremendously added to my life in helping me have emotional control. And I feel like that is the key to success in your life is to be able to control your emotions and not have that impulsiveness that can get you into trouble. One decision uh, moves you from, you know, a happy life to a a very drama-filled life. I feel like tennis has really helped me to do that. And it's something that I encourage my students as well that if you can learn to control yourself on the court and control your emotions, you can actually play calmly and your game increases tremendously.
0: So true. Another thing that I like to point out, your true character comes out on the court. Uh Aha. I believe that. The way you compete, the way, as you said, you control your emotions, the way you problem solve, all these things happen during the time you're playing and very quickly because it's not like you can't plan for everything. You have to make decisions on the spot and that's very valuable, I think, in yeah. life.
1: And it's a whole brain, a whole body experience. You, you have to use your emotion and your intellect equally. So it's not like shutting off one side or the other. And then you have to allow your brain to lead your body as well and listen to your body. It's a, it's a whole package, a perfect tsunami, I think. And that's why we love tennis. Yeah. Exactly. Well, what's the tennis dream for Tennis Pal? I mean, we the future, of course, is growing the game. It sounds like we're uh, very excited to hear more about the coaching development for Tennis Pal. Um, are we going uh, global? Are we hoping to expand?
0: Believe it or not, we do have players in France and England. There aren't many, but a pocket, a small pocket of people have downloaded the app. And one of our users reported that she had been able to play with somebody in south of France when she was traveling, which was amazing to me.
1: Wow, that's great.
0: The goal is to make it available anywhere you go. One of the main reasons, again, for it to start was that People who travel for work or other reasons, they always have a problem of not being able to find others to play with. We're trying to solve that problem.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great that the app works as an an inclusive connector for people, building community all around the world. One of the things I love about doing the podcast is I've met so many people globally that love tennis, and now they're helping me to create this podcast and doing fan reports, whether they're being... uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, or whether they're in Texas, uh, whether they're in Australia, um, they're all part of our team now, and it's so exciting that our passion draws us together.
0: I actually, I'm a fan of your uh, end of podcast reports. I really enjoy listening to these people talking about their favorite uh, players and reporting from all over really exciting
1: to hear that well I think passion is contagious and I and I have to say Holly that your passion is very contagious so we really (laughs) appreciate you we thank you so much for putting all the energy into creating Tennis Pal I I know that there's so much behind it that we don't see every day that it it takes to get this done and customer service and uh, dealing with employees and all of that but At the end of the day, it's about increasing the game of tennis for all because we believe in the values of tennis, and I think you've done such a great job, so we appreciate you for that.
0: Thank you very much, Piquet, and I appreciate your interest in the app and in what we're doing. As you said, both of us, you and I, our mission is to make sure we increase participation in tennis and we make it available more easily to everybody.
1: Well, it sounds like tennis has really improved your life and it continues to add to your life
0: exactly thank you
1: and they have a direct access to you if they download the app they can talk to the tennis pal concierge and say hi to holly anytime
0: (laughs) anytime every day yes
1: well thank you so much holly for taking time out of your busy schedule we really appreciate it and i really hope that uh, this podcast educates people about the passion of tennis, how they can get involved in making tennis greater using the Tennis Pal app. Thank you very
0: much, Vicki.
1: We'll talk to you soon. So Valerie, wasn't that an amazing interview?
2: Oh, that is up there with, that might be my favorite. I don't even know if I want to say it's up there. Although I did love Sarah. She has that Australian accent, but, uh, Halle's story is so fascinating to me. Um, I loved hearing about Aidan and everything that she kind of went through there and just learning about the cultural changes. I felt like I got a nice cultural lesson as well as a lesson on Hale and her personal story.
1: Me too. I really felt connected to Iran in a, in a way just through Halle, and I feel like because she's my friend, I really care more about what happened there and I just feel like it, it was me. I, I could live through her uh, imagining myself being a tennis player who loves tennis playing in Iran and just kind of going through the cultural revolution and what that must have felt like. I think the neat thing about Holly that most people don't know is that she actually trained as an electrical engineer, as she mentioned, and she has multiple degrees. She got her master's, I think, at University of Fullerton, and then she got her PhD at UCLA. So, I mean, she is one smart cookie. Not only is a tennis lover, but she is a, a very smart engineer and CEO, obviously, and Um, I just am so grateful that she's using all of her power to help tennis grow.
2: Yeah, and not just tennis, but she...
1: uh... Well, yeah, there's this whole other side of her that if people uh, dug a little deeper, they'd find out that she has a degree in history of uh, pre-Islamic Iran and that she's very passionate about sharing her culture. I think that's beautiful because I think we all need to learn more and be educated and that kind of learning and education just creates openness and diversity. I think in our community, uh, she I know she chairs an Iranian Studies Council, but she's so dedicated to her passions, whether it be tennis or whether it be cultural, whether it be the engineering side of creating the best possible tennis app. It's just really great to meet a quality person like Holly.
2: Oh, for sure, she's a woman of action and very inspiring. And one thing I also noticed, I thought maybe our listeners might uh, be interested in, is that she calls you PK. And maybe the listeners don't know that you're known out in the walkabout world as PK. A
1: lot of people do call me PK. Yeah, here. and
2: so if they're not privy to that, they might be like, what if she's, you know, it, it could be kind of uh, misconstrued or just kind of go over their head.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good catch. Well, that's our show, Valerie. What do you think? I think it was a great show. I'm very excited that uh, we got this incredible interview in and created a little bit of cross-cultural openness as well and just remembering that tennis fans are all over the globe from all walks of life, uh, all nationalities, and that's what brings us together. That's why also I love the Tennis Pal app and I'm hoping for it to go global someday so I can have tennis friends from all over the world.
2: Yes, that's Me too. Really Thank cool. you so much, Holly, for everything.
1: Yeah. And speaking of uh, going all over the world, our next podcast is going to be our fan favorite reporters. Uh, we've decided because these podcasts get a little bit along that we're going to keep one just specifically for interviews, uh, which we love and we want to make sure we showcase these important people. But we also want to have our great fan favorite reporters and talk a little bit about the news of tennis. So you can be looking for that next time. Please, um, know that we care so much about those fan favorite reports, and we know that you guys want to hear the news about the players as well. Yes. And we should have a little bit of an AO update as well at the end to find out who's going to win. So, Valerie, you want to call it right now? Who who are the winners for you? Well,
2: I really don't want to call it because, unfortunately, (laughs) unfortunately, yeah, well, you know, I want to say Roger because a good fan would say, you know, Roger. Right. But I'm not the greatest Roger fan. I I feel like three in a row is a tough ask. Um, I do think that Djokovic is probably the safest but most logical pick. Yeah. And um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to use my heart and my head on the women and say Serena gets it done.
1: Yeah. Serena looks fierce. She is playing so strategic. Her serve is uh, really on point. I think she's doing a great job. I do feel like both Roger and uh, Nole are playing incredibly well, and and easily could take it. So, I think it's up in the air for that. We'll we'll find out next time on the Tennis Pal Chronicles podcast.
2: I love how we conveniently left out Rafa, who will probably take out Roger before the final. Oh no! <laughs> it's gonna be a <laughs> say it ain't so Rafa Nole final, and I, hopefully we get a repeat of when they couldn't stand up after the match. <laughs> I mean, if it has to be them.
1: That was an incredible match, yeah. Well, we're looking forward to great tennis from the Australian Open in the next couple of days. And thanks so much for listening, everyone. We really appreciate you listening to our tennis podcast. Tell your friends, please subscribe to our tennis podcast and find out what our next episode is. If you would be so kind, just leave a kind review on iTunes with a five-star rating. That would really help to educate other people that this is a podcast worth listening to. We would really appreciate that as well. I think that's it. So may all your serves be
2: aces.